podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Phil, hello, we're back. We've frankly realised, haven't we, that without talking about this game, our lives are kind of empty, aren't they? We had to return to to fill that void, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Nice to be back. Um, yeah, it's been a quiet few weeks. It was so, it's so busy during the World Championships. And the lead up to that, go from uh, 60 back down to naught very quickly. So, yeah, nice to be back and talking about snooker again. And I know you've not just been talking about it when we've been away to other people. You've been gracing the table. You're, well, I say gracing, but mm. we'll sort of let the talking snooker side down a bit, I hear. It was it was very, very poor. Yeah, first time I played a long while. I mean, even when I'm playing regularly, I'm very bad. But that was a it was a long old slog that session. It was enjoyable, but um uh, not one for viewers to enjoy, I don't think. I'm glad no one was watching. Um but yeah, we're back, go more regularly now. So looking forward to playing again. Uh I've even said uh I don't know if you saw Michael Holt's gonna start coaching. I said I might even go and have a lesson with him, see if that can improve things a bit. That, that that can only help, I would say. Um, now, we're, we're going to arrange a game sometime, aren't we? But just to say now that, for me, there was none of that kind of faux humility. It's the taking part that counts. I'll be very determined to win. So, Oh, yeah, me too. But uh, it'll just, uh, it won't be very pretty, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. But but it's great to, great to have you there. It's great to be back. And uh, thank you for your kind words you've been sending to us in our absence. And uh, I think we all felt we needed a bit of downtime after that. You know, another, another great world championship, another smashing final. But now we are back with plenty to talk about in snooker as ever. And Phil, let's begin with the World Snooker Tour Awards for the season just gone, the 2021 season. Well, the major line was that Judd Trump has been named uh, Player of the Year again. Uh, and these actually were all the awards. Uh, Player of the Year, Judd Trump. Fans Player of the Year, Judd Trump. Snooker Journalist Player of the Year, Mark Selby. Performance of the Year, Mark Selby. Rookie of the Year, Pang Jung-soo. Magic Moment of the Year, Neil Robertson. And the Hall of Fame entrance, Judd Trump and Brandon Parker. Now, I know we've already said it on social media, but for the sake of the pod, we should probably say who we voted for. I went for Mark Selby, um, mainly because I feel... uh, the World Championship is obviously huge, but it wasn't just that. That did swing it, but I also think the way he bounced back last autumn from that bruising defeat to Ronnie in last year's World Semi-Final kind of just about swung it for me. But I also have no complaints about Judd winning it. It was so close between the two, Judd with five ranking events. But but I went for Selby, and obviously most of my fellow sort of writers and broadcasters went the same way. Yeah, and that's what that's who I went for as well. I think um, we we sort of asked to do it in the quarterfinals of the semi-finals, and uh, so you're sort of thinking about it from then. And I, I think I said if if Selby wins it, then it'll be him. But if not, if if he'd fallen short, then it would have been Judd, obviously. Um, but yeah, same as you. I mean, you can't really complain with anyone saying Judd if he's won five events. But I think just the World Championship is such a massive thing, um, and with two other wins, the European Masters and. The Scottish Open, I think I'm right in saying. Um, so he's had a very, very good season and to end it as world champion. That's why he got my vote. But, you know, even Neil Robertson's had a superb season. He, he, his achievements could have won it in other years, potentially. But, um, yeah, just about Selby for me. But I had no complaints with 
Judd getting the, the overall player of the year as well. No, absolutely. I did have, have a few messages. I don't know if you did about some of the other awards. Some people felt that perhaps John Higgins could have had performance of the year for that uh, brilliant showing at the Players' Championship. Very fair call. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all way for thin margins, isn't it? When, when you were talking at this level, there's so many magic moments. It is hard. Um, people also saying Jordan Brown might have got the actual magic moment award for yeah. his incredible win at the Welsh. Um, but listen, we could all sort of, uh, you know, have little arguments all night. It's a bit of a sort of pub debate, isn't it, really? Mm. We all have, I mean, a lot of it is subjective. You know, who's to say what moment was more magical than another? Yeah. You know, it's all in, in our own minds, really. But but so, some good winners there. And what it did say, again, looking through this list and the memories going through the mind is what a season that was, just John. It was, uh, well, we said it before, but... You know, with, with the benefit of a few weeks of hindsight, looking back now, I don't think we were talking it up too much. It really did give us, in this lockdown era, some special entertainment, some special drama, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe that's why sort of performance of the year felt a bit like it should go to something other than the World Championship because it has been an amazing season. There have been some incredible tournaments. Yeah, as you say, Higgins at the Players' Championship, Robertson at the Tour Championship uh, and the UK and, the, and Jordan Brown, as you said. So to sort of give everything to the base on the World Championship seemed a bit of a waste almost. But uh, yeah, an amazing season. And uh, Peng Shinju, worth a mention there. I mean, Rookie of the Year. He, he was Rookie of the Year by quite a stretch. He had some amazing wins. So it's going to be interesting to see him, how he develops next season. If he, if he can keep going on this trajectory, he's going to be a real force. Um, but yeah, as you say, so many memorable tournaments. Uh, yeah, it was an amazing season uh, in spite of everything that was going on. Yeah, it really was. I'd agree with that. Uh, now, it, the World Championship wasn't actually the very final event of the season. We then enjoyed the World Seniors and we saw a superb win there for David Lilly, uh, beating Jimmy White in the final. Now, Lilly was for a long, long time, decades really, a top amateur and only turned professional in 2019. And he really showed what a good player he was, didn't he, Phil? And I watched a fair bit of it, more than I was expecting to, actually. Uh, I was on a break at the time in Matlock Bath, absolutely lovely part of the world. And I found myself just particularly in the evenings, relaxing, watching a bit of snooker. And I love the kind of gentle pace of the seniors. It's a bit high octane, the World Championship, for for obvious reasons. But I think it's got a lovely slot now. It's a real sort of nice, sort of gentle come down while also being very pleasant viewing. And what I found interesting was that David Lilly was really struggling in his first one or two matches Mm. with the playing conditions the distance to the table he was finding quite difficult because it's so unusual for him. The lights in the arena, I actually, you know, caught him many times squinting and hardly able to see, but he obviously uh, got used to it because he had, he had a fine win there. And it's nice to see the sort of glory shared around and nice to see someone that was an amateur for so long and maybe not in the public eye, really showing what they're capable of on television. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think I saw his first match against Philip Williams, who I didn't know much about. And, uh, he didn't really look like he was necessarily going to go on and win the title at that stage. But, yeah, he played great by the end, um, beating Doherty and White on the way. That's very impressive. Um, and, yeah, he's had a, he's had an interesting career, isn't he, played, staying as an amateur for so long. I think he had like quite a good, settled job that he didn't really want to risk losing, I think I'm right in saying. Um, and then he's been on the last couple of years, and uh, I think he's, he'll be back in Q school now, actually. He dropped off tour, but he's obviously a very good player. And it meant the world to him. He was quite emotional at the end. It was nice to see. Uh, shame for Jimmy. Obviously, he's won the last two, and that's a third final on the spin. Um, and it looked like he was going to produce another memorable comeback, like the final last year against Ken. Um, but he didn't quite manage it. But um, it was a great game, the final. Really enjoyable to watch. Um, 
and yeah, it's yeah, as you say, it's a nice sort of easing out of the world championship, isn't it? Um, nice to have something on that isn't quite so uh, I don't know stressful at times to watch the world championship, isn't it? Because it's so dramatic, so much riding on it. Um, it's more sort of uh, pleasant, casual viewing the seniors. But yeah, it's great. It's becoming a great tournament. It's sort of getting bigger and bigger. Interesting characters in it. Igor Figueredo looked like he might go on and win it when he comfortably beat Stephen Hendry. But um, and Jimmy White did for him quite impressively as well. So yeah, it's very enjoyable. And hopefully they'll get the tour, the whole World Seniors tour, back up and running as it was going to be uh, before the pandemic. And they're going to Goffs and they're playing uh, the Ali Pali, I think, as well. Um, so yeah, that'd be good. No, it really will. And uh, we look forward to you know, many more seniors events. It's all going from strength to strength, that that really. And I scribbled down something here and I think I've got to kind of be careful to say this because it's one of those that I, I mean it's a compliment, but it could sound a bit sort of backhanded and almost not a compliment. But it, it's not always as polished, is it, the coverage of the seniors? Uh, I think mm. for obvious reasons, probably financial, probably less people involved, I'm sure, in the production. But I actually really like it like that. It makes it very real somehow. Uh, Rob Walker does everything, of course. Pure mm. Rob. Presents, <laughs> commentates, interviews. He's a proper Zebedee performance from Rob, uh, as usual. But I, I kind of really like that, the fact that it's not always, you know, the slickest production values. It, it, it makes it feel very, yeah, as I say, very real. And it's something I really enjoy about it. Uh, uh, there were a few comments, weren't there, about about whether certain people should be eligible to play. And... It's an interesting one because the class of 92, of course, are still uh, so prevalent, still winning big tournaments. Mm. They won the world title last year. John Higgins and Mark Williams have both won ranking events recently. So you sort of wonder, well, should the players of the same sort of age as those really play in the seniors? Should we not be setting the bar a bit higher, maybe 50 and over? Uh, what's your view on that? Yeah, I think I think sort of the, the whole idea of the seniors is for it's for an age where you're not really... Con- realistically competing on the main tour isn't it I think that's the sort of the ethos behind it so it's strange to have someone who's sort of younger than some players are younger than the top 16 players so that is it is a bit odd I think over 50 would probably make more sense or or maybe it could be over 50 if you're a professional and over 40 if you're an amateur something like that um so yeah I think that probably would be more appropriate but it certainly doesn't bother me I think the way they're doing it now uh does work, but uh, yeah, it, it just feel a bit funny, uh, and especially when you have got people that are on on tour playing against complete amateurs. Uh, it's a funny setup, but it's hard to find the line. I think it's enjoyable, as we said. So um, I'm not I'm not desperately calling for change or anything, but yeah, maybe maybe over fifty would make a bit more sense. Dennis Taylor played his last match as well in the seniors. I- didn't quite connect with that moment as as much as others did. I, it felt a little bit manufactured for me. I mean, it's many years since Dennis played on the, on the main tour. And yes, he stopped playing seniors, but he'll carry on doing his exhibitions. Uh, yeah, it, it, the, 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 I suppose it was quite a nice moment. I just yeah, wasn't massively moved by that myself. But the seniors overall was, you know, re- really good events and some some lovely players from yesteryear. As you say, a few uh, players that we didn't know quite so well that hadn't had the most stellar careers, now, now able to be on the big stage again. And it's really um, benefited from being on the BBC, isn't it, Phil? I mean, it's red button, it's online, it's digital, it's not on a main channel, but it's very accessible. And, you know, it. I don't see any reason why they can't keep that slot, but I would think that week after the Crucible now, going forward, is kind of the way to do it. As it, it almost feels like, 
it's extended the the marathon to sort of a fifth week and it it kind of <laughs> nice that isn't it yeah it's a nice sort of gentle after party i suppose isn't it um and yeah it's great the bbc covering it is superb um i don't know what the numbers are for watching but i imagine it's pretty good um hopefully you'll get a few people who you know there's amazing names from the past uh so i'm sure they'll uh pique people's interests um and yeah i think i think it's a great it's a great spot um it's amazing this at the crucible as well i mean what a dream for those guys who not won't necessarily have been there in their careers anyway uh, to play there even in an empty crucible is a bit odd um but yeah it'd be nice when that'll be full up full up again um yeah so looking forward to more of that in the future very much so well that's the book officially closed then on on what went before and now it's about the future and the 2021-22 season which we know quite a lot more about uh, since we last spoke to you uh, we know the championship league will kick us off in july so uh, in around about uh, six, seven weeks' time, the new season will be underway. I, I welcome that. I like a break, uh, as I said before, but I think July is a decent wait, uh, time to come back. It's a huge summer of sport, of course. Um, you know, no, no question about that. European Championship football, uh, Wimbledon, which we didn't have last year, of course, the Open Gold Championship, the Olympic Games, so much uh, big sport. So snooker, you know, it's a natural time for snooker not to be quite in a front row seat position. It'll be more of a background thing, but very, very enjoyable. Uh, I'm sure what what we will see. Then a really interesting line, uh, well, two actually, we'll come to the uh, news about Turkey in a moment, but the return of the British Open, which is a tournament that I certainly remember, uh, you know, very well from growing up, the Dulux British Open, as it it was then, uh, uh, played in Derby when I was growing up and very much an ITV event. So it'll be interesting Mm. to see I don't think we've had any broadcasting news for that yet, have we? I've not seen it. So uh, have. I'm wondering if it, it you know, if that, it, it, in terms of sort of a, of a snooker romance thing, whether ITV might be the best home for it. But I, I scribbled down something here just to give you an, an idea of how big it was back in the day, because there are certain numbers and facts that are drummed into you if you're a snooker fan. And no matter what age you are, if you're eight or 80, you know that 18.5 million people watched <laughs> Dennis Taylor Steve Davis final after midnight on BBC Two. Well, that same year, 1985, the final of the British Open was Silvino Francisco against Kirk Stevens. Not the two biggest names, but still two big 80s names. 15 million viewers watched on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, it's a different world then. There was live football, but not very much. It was only the second season of regular live league football ever being shown so there wasn't the same access to live sport there were only four channels a different world no internet far fewer options for entertainment so um you know we are talking about a very very different time but it just shows how big those you know all those big ranking events were back then and dave toms if he's listening phil a bit of a nerdy memory from me here but when we had an episode, I think maybe our first Your Views, when David Caulfield joined us, Dave Toms wrote about things he'd like to see maybe changing or altered. He mentioned the British Open. Now, yeah. he said it as part of the home nations. I'm not sure that's going to be the case. But nevertheless, good call from Dave, if you're listening to us. The British Open is returning. And Phil, let's face it, in August, that's when snooker's just starting to get big again. It's hopefully a decent slot. The Olympics is over. And we'll be able to focus on some on some good snooker. And it's a name with a cachet, isn't it? The British Open. Even 
without the history would have a name but with that history it feels like something lovely from the past is coming back yeah absolutely it's it's funny how much difference that makes if they just made up a new tournament and put it in august and called it whatever the summer grand prix or something um and it could be exactly the same format and prize money and everything but it wouldn't have the excitement of bringing back the british open which it has which this one has everyone's very excited about it um i think it's, it's good news that they filled they start filling the calendar so quickly because when the calendar came out there were four or five slots which were sort of tbc rank potential ranking events i know there's some murmurs among the players that worried that they wouldn't get filled in but they obviously were always going to get filled in they've been filled in quite quickly with some big tournaments to look forward to so yeah it's going to be i think the championship league in july will be quite a slow low key start to the season but then yeah the british open on the sixth start on the 16th of august will be the real curtain raiser in, in style i should think um yeah and we wait to see what the coverage will be but that would be very nice if it was itv for sure and yeah looking back looking back at the old finals um yeah some amazing names all big names winning it uh, and the odd surprise in there Fergal O'Brien being anti hamilton in 1999 finals a memorable one james watanar reaching three on the spin and losing them all um so yeah, no, it's great to have it back. It's going to be interesting. I'm sure all the players are going to be very excited about it. Well, Anthony talked about that final, didn't he, when he joined us actually? And I think I'm sure I remember him saying that uh, the TV people were a little bit disappointed. Frankly, that's <laughs> his word. There were so many big names in the sort of last 16, last eight, but then they all kind of fell away, and it was left to, left to that final, and uh, ended up being a good final actually. O'Brien and Hamilton. Of course, Anthony was then saying that oh. You know, he, he was disappointed, but, you know, as he was telling us, I'll get to more. There's time on my side. Yeah. He didn't think it would take him 18 more years, did it, Phil? He got no, there. Not he, really, no. It wasn't a surprise through. for him, but made it all worth the wait when it came. Very much so. Uh, by the way, unsurprising breaking news, it's raining. <laughs> I, mean, I don't mean to be too UK-centric. How, have we ever had a worse May than this? I mean, it's... Absolutely appalling, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a stinker. <laughs> rain and wind and cold all the way and it's nearly june right never mind that that's why snooker's so good you see phil you know yeah. it doesn't matter what the weather is we can always enjoy some snooker and certainly talking about it um t- the turkish masters now that's that's new territory and potentially uh, very exciting uh t- to go to a, a new country uh make, makes it to tw- 20 something i think it was the number 23 two. i think i saw 23, i think it was that's right uh, countries that now stage ranking events. And uh, Jason Ferguson uh, told you, Phil, in an interview that I know you put up on Twitter, that we could have some potentially new uh, Mediterranean venues as well. So you might be getting the old Factor 50 off, Phil, and uh, <laughs> the old shades and the hat and heading down to sunnier climes, you know. Yeah, that would be lovely, lovely. yeah. Um, yeah, he, he didn't mention the specific. Well, he did actually mention Spain, said it's going very well there. There's a lot of interest. And he made the point to say it's not, well, it's not expats as well. Obviously, there is an interest in expats over there, but it is local people getting involved and getting interested and pushing to bring tournaments over there. Um, yeah, so that would be lovely if we get some more sunny destinations on the calendar. Um, Antalya, I've never been to, but it looks absolutely beautiful. Um, I know my girlfriend's been quickly said that's the tournament that she wants to come to if we go into any this season. So <laughs> it, it might get a few new fans in that way. Um, yeah, and as I say, that is another one where the players uh, will be very excited to go there, and it'll be uh, at the end of the summer. Lovely spot. Um, big prize money. Jason said um, they haven't confirmed the, the exact winner's prize fund, but it'll be at least a hundred grand. So very much worth 
uh, entering and playing in. I'm sure not many not many pros are going to be turning down the qualifiers for that. There's going to be a round of qualifying in before they go over to Turkey somewhere where they normally do them in Barnsley or something. So uh, there'll be more pressure on that one than a lot of the lot of the low key, key qualifiers because everyone will want to get through to the the main event. Definitely. So let me just get this straight. She wants to go to Turkey in late summer, um, but not not the Masters Ali Pali, you know, big event. She 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 definitely attracted more by Turkey, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, she's got no interest in seeing any snooker played, but she'll come with me and sit on the beach while I go and do some work. I think. Oh yeah, it's, it's a great imponderable that. Um, <laughs> but no, it is it, it, good to see an, a, a new territory for the game there. Um, most of the other events didn't give us a massive amount of su- a surprise. And Northern Ireland's before the English, isn't it? Which is a new order for that. Um, uh, again, I mean, this is one of those, you know, complaints. It's not really a complaint. We know how lucky we are. But again, there's no gap between the UK. Well, actually one day if the UK starts on a Tuesday. And it's the champion of champions. Which I think we already knew, didn't we? It was a little bit later. So that's a, a huge event to have the champion of champions final then a day off, then the UK. I mean, that that's, to use Alan McManus's phrase about a winter swing, that feels like when the season really hots up and gets very special, doesn't it, around that time of year? Yeah, and that's huge. Um, November's got the English Open, Champion Champions and the, the start of the UK, yeah. And Champion Champions moved to Bolton. There's a new venue for it, so that should be interesting. Um, luckily, not too far from York, I suppose, if you've got to move. If the winner's playing now on the Sunday and got to be there in York two days later, at least it's not too far away. Uh, and then, yeah, then the Scottish and the Grand Prix before the end of the year. So, a uh, lot to look forward to um, at the back end of 2021. It's going to be really good. It really is. I mean, it's not a, a massive deal by any means, but I, I did wonder whether they should kind of swap it around a bit and have the UK the very last event of the year. I said it before, actually, on this pod, because there's more of a sort of climactic or special event feel in date sense for the Masters and the world, I think. The Masters, because you've had that break over Christmas and New Year, it's the first... I know there is a bit of snooker sometimes before now, but it's the first really big event of the year. Mm. Signals the start of the year. And then the World Championship obviously stands alone, big build-up, the qualifiers... But the UK is kind of, I sometimes feel if it was the last event before the Christmas break, it would be like, right, time for a breather. What a big event. But where it is now, it's it's in the middle of all other big events. But I guess that will maybe add, add um, you know, credence to those that say the UK is just not the same event as it once was. So swings and roundabouts, you know, looking at the calendar generally, I mean, you're right, there are still gaps to fill. Some that have been filled already. But generally speaking, you know, Looking at it across the the year, you just think treats galore. And again, what you know, what, what generally good place we're in, aren't we? With so many events, so much drama, and you know, when we really get into the heart of the season, there's barely a week off. Yeah, and I mean, the Scottish Open starts the day after the UK Championship finishes as well, so it really is back to back action at that point. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I think you might be right about that. It would, it sort of, it is just one of four big events at that time, isn't it? The UK Championship, and it's in the middle of it. So just, it does lack sort of standing out, um, which is all part of, sort of the problem of the tournament, I suppose. Everyone says it, it's sort of, it's been downgraded, and uh, I suppose the scheduling doesn't help that. Um, 
but yeah, no, in terms of in terms of what we've got to look forward to, it's a lot. And yeah, 15th, 15th of November to the 19th of December, it's just wall-to-wall snooker in big tournaments. So yeah, it's going to be good. If only there was a podcast presented by two <laughs> journalists to talk about it regularly. There will be, of course, we'll be with you throughout the, this new season to talk about so many wonderful events to come. Now, let's maybe move on now to... A show that many, many people have been watching over recent weeks and not just committed snooker fans. And that's Gods of Snooker on the BBC. Uh, maybe I, rather than always hog the first word, I'll let you uh, have the first say on this. What, what what did you make of it, Phil? And what was your sort of overall view? Yeah, I thought it was great. Really enjoyed it. I think I've watched them all three twice now. So uh, that's how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think I think we all sort of thought, oh, what 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 new are they going to have to say or show? And probably not loads, um, but they did it so well; it was really enjoyable. And I suppose some of the the, the new interviews with the with the players from the past were quite were the most revealing bits, I suppose. Very honest, very open, um, and some interesting footage that I hadn't seen before. To be fair, so the the backstage interviews and stuff sort of before the cameras were rolling. Well, well, they obviously were rolling, but before they, they were shown live on TV. Um, but yeah, no, it was really good. Um, I spoke to a lot of people that have watched it who wouldn't normally watch a lot of snooker, and they've all enjoyed it. <laughs> when I went to, when I played snooker the other day in Tooting, I picked up a daft trophy to, that my mate, me and my mate were playing for, and the guy in the shop straight away went, oh, I watched that Gods of Snooker, it was amazing. Um, so yeah, it has cut through. It's been very popular, I think. Um, and yeah, I don't know if there's, uh, I suppose it's sort of a standalone thing. I was going to say it'd be nice if they do more stuff like that. Um, maybe they could do one, uh, a similar documentary, but how it's been going since then and uh, what, why it hasn't been as big since the, the glory days, maybe. But um, yeah, in, in terms of how good it was, I thought it was very, very good. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I thought it was excellent, really. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I'd be hard pushed to, to think of any reason why you wouldn't say that. I mean, it was... It was very well made. Uh, it was very interesting. I, I actually knew from, a, from an early stage, because I knew one or two people that were involved in, in the production, that we would be seeing some special footage and stuff we hadn't seen before. And I, it's one of those I was saying to someone, I, I'm sometimes not sure if I haven't seen something or if it's so long since I've seen it that I've forgotten, but I don't think I've seen as much of that 72 final uh, as on this occasion. That, that was quite, quite special. And I didn't also, I haven't also remembered... Uh, hearing some of the stories like quite how drunk Alex Higgins was in the 76 final and various uh, one or two of the other stories uh, uh, I think it's polite to say may have been embellished is probably the, the nice way to say it. I, <laughs> I wasn't convinced about that speed speedboat line I mean I think I've heard that story told when I've been in the presence of people and it's been told differently. So anyway, but uh, <laughs> a little bit of poetic license for television is, is, is not always, you know, a, a bad thing, but just to say, you know, there was a little bit of the idea that snooker ended in 1990, uh, which I, I wasn't a particular fan of. And some of the points I wasn't sure about, uh, i.e. Steve Davis, the idea that he was, suddenly a much-loved figure after 85. I mean, yes, people saw the human vulnerable side of him, but I, I don't remember it, that people still weren't desperate for Joe Johnson to win an 86, 87, mm. or Terry Griffiths in 88, John Parrott in 89. 
uh, you know, I, I, I felt that people still wanted Siege to lose just as much. There's a few things that didn't quite tally with my memory, but I suppose everyone has different memories, don't they, really? That's the beauty of it. Yeah, and there's obviously, there's sort of those narratives, they are based in something a lot of the time, but it's, it can't possibly be everyone who thinks the same thing, but they're sort of portrayed as the entire public thinking one one way about something. But, yeah, I mean, it's before it's before my time, all this stuff, so uh, uh, I sort of see it and take, take it... Uh, how they how they explain it but um yeah i mean it's just one it's just a wonderful era um and i mean there's a, it's funny that there's been this whole thing about too much talk about the past and whatever but um it's certainly to be enjoyed i mean just it's it was great everything about it the fashion and everything what the uh, hairstyles even like it's just really entertaining um and there might be something in talking about the dress code and stuff i think you really sort of showed how how those guys then um made the most of having to wear a suit the suits were incredible. They weren't all just wearing all black like a lot of players do now. Really making the most of uh, uh, within the within the rules, uh, looking pretty pretty flash. Um, so I'd like to see some of that come back. Yeah, no, could could be a good idea. Um, but also, um, the, I, I did feel that that maybe uh, there was a little bit too much of the snooker ended in nineteen ninety, like. You almost, you know, you could be forgiven for thinking that was the end of the sport. No, no more yeah. to be seen. And I don't mean to just pick on Lineker, but I thought he was one of the worst culprits for that. And actually, I really like Gary Lineker. You know, I think most of us do, don't we? Wonderful career. Loved watching him as a footballer. Very, very good at what he does on the BBC with his football presenting. But I don't know, I felt it was a little bit lazy that he was on there. You know, I think he was on the When Snooker Ruled the World programme in 2002, and I got the idea they could have got someone else a bit. Also, one or two of the talking heads, I wasn't completely convinced that they either remembered um, the times they were talking about or or, or particularly, uh, you know, whether, whether they were even around, around to remember it type thing. But, you know, I'm nitpicking. It was good. It, it was very well made. I thought some many of the people spoke very, very well indeed. Uh, and I, I, I took a lot out of watching Ray Reardon actually, Phil. Yeah. I mean, talk about the competitive fire still burning. I mean, heavens above. You know, he's still got the bit between his teeth at his age, isn't he? And uh, you yeah. just saw a little bit of that steel and that kind of sort of Reardon magic, really, that won him all those titles. Yeah, I think he made a great point that he's won it six times and everyone talks about Alex Higgins. He's just only won it two, but that's just the character of the, the man, isn't he? Sort of in, captured the imagination a bit more, I suppose. But yeah, no, he was great on it, really. Energetic at his age, he looked great. Um, and yeah, I think I think everyone thought the same, definitely, about it was a very brutal cut-off. Cut they could have even shown, you know, it would have taken a very short scene of sort of showing some clips of modern players or talking about how it's expanded across the across the world and how it's big all over the place. Um, just a little nod to sort of you know, it's still going, doing quite well, really. Um, you know, there was no even, I, you know, no mention of Ronnie O'Sullivan or anything in the whole thing. Uh, anyone like that, they could have just shown a few clips of the modern game, maybe. Um, so, yeah, that was that was probably the, the disappointing side of it. But, yeah, as you said, it's a, it's a minor issue, really. It was, it was a great, great show, great three three programmes. It was a nice amount of time to give to it, really. I mean, they could have easily done, like, a, a one-off uh, hour or so. But I think it got, um, it was a nice amount of time to give. No, fair way of saying it. Of course, they all went out on the iPlayer. I think you watched it quite quickly, didn't didn't you, like yeah. I did? Um, there were conflicting views on that. Some people say that it's nice to have that shared experience that you'd have had if it hadn't gone out until it went out on BBC Two. But 
it was also it's nice to have the choice. I mean, that's the way the Beep like to do it with lots of their shows now, put them all out in one go because you know, let's face it, it's a very different time we live in now where we kind of we're the masters of our own remote controls, aren't we? We <laughs> set the by when to watch and and what we want to watch at any time, really. So it sort of fits into that quite quite nicely. Also, I, I thought the slot the slots and the time was quite good, really, because first of all, people were saying, oh, surely during the Crucible will make more sense when Snooker's in the public eye. But actually, I thought in the end, with hindsight, it might have been quite a nice thing that it kind of extended that, that huge period of Snooker being at the forefront of public attention for a few weeks. It's like, oh, they enjoyed the, the World Championship. Now let's go back to the past. And yes, I know there's the argument about are, are we too obsessed with the past and into nostalgia? But you know, as you say, it was generally a positive experience, and the number of people that that, that I that I you know that, that I heard from that I haven't heard from a long time talking about snooker, mm. it might be a good thing because they might now watch the game again. Well, hopefully, yeah, that's that's going to be the interesting thing if it has sort of reawoken some old fans or created some new fans. That'd be great. Um, but that's that's probably where the disappointing thing about there's, there was no mention of sort of the game even existing still. That would have been a nice nod to say like oh we've got this new season starts at some point or you know just mention uh, mention a couple of top players now. Um, but yeah, it'd be it'd be great to see if anyone if if when the tournaments are back on TV, uh, if anyone says oh I'll flick that on because I enjoyed Gods of Snooker. Then, I mean that's that's the perfect situation if that happens. Yes, indeed. Well. Let's hope that is the case, and that and Gods of Snooker, I think, is ending actually with a a third episode uh, on this Sunday night in the UK, and all available to watch if you are in the UK on the iPlayer, and I'm sure they'll appear in various other places as well online in, in the sort of uh, days and weeks to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, Q School is getting underway on Thursday and running for eighteen days. And uh, there'll be 14 places available on the main tour. Uh, three tournaments to be staged consecutively. The matches all best of seven. Four semi-finalists in each event will each earn a two-year tour card. Uh, plus the next two highest players on the order of merit will get tour cards as well. Lots of nervous snooker players right now, Phil. Yeah. This is, um, this is uh, you know, you know what I'm reminded of? Alan McManus, when he spoke to us among various other journalists on his very last Zoom as a professional, I suppose you'd, you'd call it, very last press conference as a professional. And he was talking about the moments that he enjoyed the most and, uh, you know, what resonated the most. It wasn't the Masters win. It wasn't getting to the Crucible. Uh, it wasn't reaching the Crucible semis or the other tournament wins. It was becoming a pro. That says it all. And that's what's up for grabs. Yeah, and it's going to be absolutely brutal. <laughs> it's, it's such a hard tournament. Um, some really good players in there, such a mix of players. There's obviously all the guys that have dropped off tour from last season. There's some great players in there. Um, young players, Jackson Page, people like that, James Cahill, Yuan Sijun, which who was sort of tipped as one of the brightest Chinese talent, talents a couple of years ago. He sort of dropped off a bit. Um, Tony Knowles is going to be there at 65. I actually just spoke to him this afternoon ahead of that. Uh, he's looking forward to it. Um, Michael White's it was funny if you forget that Michael White wasn't a pro last season because he played in everything but he, he needs to get his tour card back and then all sorts of uh, all sorts of other names and then of course people that we've got no idea who they are because if anyone puts the thousand pounds in they can play so um, you know me and you could do it if we wanted to waste a thousand pounds each <laughs> um, so yeah it's going to be it's really hard it's, it's it's just a shame you can't watch it um, it would be really entertaining viewing 
Um, but obviously, I mean, it's complicated. That'd be even more pressure on it if it was uh, if it was streamed or anything. But it's going to be an interesting. How long is it? Three, two weeks. It's a long time, isn't it? I think it's and, two and a half. Yeah, it goes yeah. Mid, middle of June. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, you can bet on it. There's odds on who's going to get through, but that's an absolute minefield as well. There's going to be there'll be a few that no one expects, and there'll be a couple that you would expect who will probably fall short. So yeah, uh, nerve shredding pressure for a couple of weeks for those guys. Yeah, indeed, absolutely right. And uh, well, it, it also reminds me of, of an interview you did with Sahel Fahidi, which I thought said an awful lot about you know the pressures involved when we talk about some of the the highest paid players the top players in the game a lot but I'm always sort of drumming it into myself remember the whole tour remember there are players that are down in the kind of lower reaches that are struggling and Sahel said it all in the interview with you you know that it's 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 bloody hard work and it and it's and he pays tribute a lot to his family doesn't he and the, and the sacrifices they've made because when when you're down at that level and you're scrapping for every sort of you know, ranking point and scrapping for money. It, it's, it's a hard way to make a living, isn't it? You know, for many players. Oh, absolutely. And it just shows that, you know, what pressure there is on on games when it's not, you know, it's not just a game of snooker. You're playing to pay the bills and, uh, yeah, it's hard work. And you can go a long time without earning any money. You know, he lost in the first round of qualifying. Um, shock result, losing to a Belgian, sort of unknown Belgian guy, Julian Leclerc. And that meant he's sort of gone two two months without any sort of earning potential. Um, moved over from Iran. Yeah, his wife's come over uh, 18 months or so ago. They've just had their first child. Um, they're stuck, stuck up in Darlington. Don't really know people outside of snooker. Nothing, not much to do. No earnings. You know, it's really difficult. Um, outside of the top 64 is a, a tough old scrap to be on the snooker tour. Um, and you're sort of doing it with the hope that things will get better. Um, and I suppose for not, it doesn't happen for everyone. Um, so, yeah, he's going to be back at Q School, hoping to keep the dream alive. And, you know, if he doesn't get through, I'm not sure what he'll do. Um, so best wishes to him. And he sort of brought up the point, which is an interesting one that quite a few people have said, um, if there should be sort of very similar earnings, for if, even if you lose in the first round of tournaments, obviously it wouldn't be much. And it would just be to sort of, Make sure you don't lose money because you forget that people have to travel to tournaments, pay for their own hotels, pay for being away. If you lose first round, you know, it's cost you money to go and play. And you've earned your spot on the tour. You know, it's not it's not a freebie. There are 128 players that have done something to get there. Um, so maybe there should be some sort of uh, small small prize fund for first round losers. Take it off the winners. Uh, I think they earn plenty anyway. Um, so that's an interesting debate. Um, I'm not sure it's going to happen, but um, it's an idea. It's an idea to think about, I think. Yeah, no, it's a very fair way of saying it. So Q School is coming up. Um, we are going to be with you uh, throughout the late spring and summer weeks and various treats to look forward to. We've got, we got some special guests coming your way and plenty of uh, you know subjects up for discussion. We are going to have a special Your Views episode next week. It's some time since we've done one of those and we've had loads of emails. So if you have sent us one, and you're thinking, well, those cheeky rascals haven't read it out yet. <laughs> I promise you, we do have them. Uh, so do contact us, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com, or tweet us at talkingsnooker. Now, we've had some lovely words, actually, as we ended our, our, our last run, uh, as the, the last season came to an end, uh, summed up here by John Riley, very kindly, who writes to us, tweets us, actually, and says, 
In a world overly saturated with podcasts on other sports, there is not enough snooker ones. Thank you, gents, for an outstanding podcast. Looking forward to many more in the months ahead. Your debut season has been magnificent. That's what I told John to write. And uh, <laughs> it was very nice of me. He did exactly what I said. Now, that's very kind, isn't it? It's very nice. And that's the kind of messages that, you know, we, we have been getting quite a few of those. And we're, we're really grateful, actually, because, um, you know, we love doing this. And it, it's nice to know people are out there. And we've had, uh, you know, really good res- response listening-wise to our Mark Selby world title win episode. I think now uh, it's crossed the 800 mark and become our, our most second most listened to episode ever. So I know it's not just about numbers, Phil, but... It's going well. We're getting some nice response and we're going to keep the, the service going, aren't we, now in the quieter months with with plenty of treats to come. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, but people have been very kind, which is good because I'm sure we would do this if no one was listening because we do enjoy it, but it would seem a pointless exercise to an extent. <laughs> so it's glad that people are listening and enjoying it and uh, it seems to be growing. Yeah, so that's uh, it's good news. Um, and yeah, we've got plenty to come. Um, we've got some interesting guests coming on. Uh, in this quiet time and then hopefully uh, keep keep uh, the snooter, snooker appetite uh, wetted ahead of the new season. Indeed, and um, I think this is a, a rare short episode for us, isn't it, Phil? But we don't always have to wrap it on for absolutely ever. <laughs> it's been very nice to, to, to be with you again. I think we've, we've, we've pretty much caught up. We're, we're always on the lookout for new news, of course, and always want to hear from you. So Talking Snooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talking snooker phil enjoy the next uh, few days until we meet again football season's coming to an end uh, sorry to sorry about barnsley by the way sir they they they, they, they t- came up just short but they did. before we went on air they had a brilliant season didn't they they, they battled gallantly yeah i mean uh, to get to the playoffs at all was a bit of a, a miracle so i think if we'd avoided relegation, that would have been seen as a successful season. So to to fall just short in the playoff semi-finals is not a bad effort. Uh, so well done to those guys. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and yeah, it's going to be uh, keeping an eye on Q School. We'll a lot of looking at live score updates, which is uh, you find yourself doing quite a lot during the snooker season. It's one way of catching up with sport. Um, one guy I think I meant to mention before uh, who's going to be playing at Q School is the the English under 14s champion at the minute. And if you saw his name, you might you might think he's more like eighty four than under fourteen. It's called Stan Moody, um, <laughs> so he, he's one to he's one to look out for. He's meant to be a very good player. I've not seen him, but it'll be interested to see how he gets on against a lot much more old players than when he's his opponent will be. So uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. That really will. That's that's a. I mean, talking about football, that's a proper forties and fifties football name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Stan Moody's last night scored the winner in the cup final. That's a proper yesteryear. Um, and yes, I should have said before, really, how was Tony when you spoke to him, Tony Knowles? Because, it, you know, I know it's a fixtures and fittings thing, which is a bit, you know, we, we, you know, talking about looks is a bit of a shallow thing. But he's got the ageing rock star yeah. Monaco off to a tee, hasn't he? Come on. Yeah, he, he looks superb. Um, I don't know if it was like a lockdown thing where he let his hair grow and his beard go, but um, he should keep it if it is. Uh, it's excellent. And he's good, yeah. He's looking forward to Q School. He's been practising every day. He says he's playing more now than he has done in the last 20 years. Um, I mean, it's going to be hard for him. It's going to be hard for anyone. But um, if he got back on tour at 65, that would be an incredible achievement. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. Um, and yeah, I was asking him sort of how he sees the standard of the game and stuff as greatest ever. 
He had an interesting answer for that. Um, John Higgins is his greatest ever player, according to him. Um, although the greatest cueist ever is Walter Lindrum, he was saying. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Interesting, interesting views from TK. And you reminded me there, talking about the best players, about something that I know you listened to, I saw it on your Twitter, and I did as well. A really fascinating interview with Graham Dot on oh, yeah. the, with Tom English. I think it's called This Sporting Life, isn't it? Yeah. It's actually been an excellent series, generally. Whoever we've spoken to has been really good. I really rate Tom English, actually. But the snooker ones have been excellent. Hendry's been on there. Uh, Dennis Taylor did one. Taylor did one. Yes, he did. And now this. And we said many times, didn't we, how snooker players speak from the heart, and we're grateful for that. Well, that's the only place Graham Dot is speaking from here, isn't it? He really gets to the heart of the matter, says, says it how it is, how it was for him, the struggles he's had, the mental health struggles. And I've never heard him quite talk in those terms before about how much of a gruelling nightmare winning the World Championship that night was. We all say about how it was late for us and all watching on and journalists, but it sounds like it was bloody agony for him. I know he got over the line, his finest hour, but it sounds like it was pure blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely listen to that podcast. It's really, really good. Um, and yeah, that bit is actually quite funny, the way he's describing how Ebden was coming back at him and he just about sort of held himself together. But yeah, really good stuff. Graham's a, an interesting story. Um, it, sort of, so it gets quite, I mean, covering some quite dark things, but also he, he tells some quite funny stories. Um, nice touch about sort of uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan getting in touch with him when he knew he was struggling with his mental health. Um, yeah, And yeah, I won't give away too many spoilers, but it's definitely worth a listen. After, once you've listened to this podcast, go and download that one. <laughs> exactly. But say loyal to us. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so he did say that about Ronnie and made the point, didn't he, quite explicitly, that, that they weren't mates and they're not mates now. Mm. So that kind of, they weren't friends necessarily. They obviously knew each other very well, still do. But you're right, that, that does say a lot, doesn't it? it you, a bit of a cliche about life, but... You, it's when the chips are down, I think, that you remember these things more because that that's the time when it's easy to go missing, isn't it? For whoever yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. When and, and, it, and it, it wasn't just sort of a text or a thing. He said he called him up out of the blue. So, yeah, it sounded like a really nice gesture. Very much so. Well, that's that's this Sporting Life with Graham Dots. A nice snooker listening for you there. Hopefully nice snooker listening from us today and more to come next week when we will join you again and catch up with all your correspondence in another Your Views episode. But cheerio, Phil, for now. Yep, thank you for having me, as always. Always a pleasure to be here. And uh, that piece with Tony will be up soon. And I also had a very interesting chat with Michael White the other day, so that'll be coming out tomorrow or Tuesday. So have a look at keep an eye out for that on, uh, on my Twitter. It'll be all white on Tuesday night. <laughs> and on that note, from Phil and from me, cheerio for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.